Here we are, 3CR, Wednesday breakfast. Um, we do the rerun. Here, we've just played the show. We've just done the show, and we come here and give you a little listen in to what to expect because we curate a podcast, just all the little bits of goodness that we put through the show. The guests that come on, we think that they, they deserve a voice through the podcast platform. And, and do we want to go backwards or forwards with who was on the, on the show today, Paddy? I reckon we'll go backwards from backwards. The, yeah. So our, our final interview on the show was uh, Michelle from Mothers, no Grandmothers, grandmothers uh, against right, racism. She's deleted it off the screen. <laughs> I think it was uh, Grandmothers against racism. You'll hear us uh, talk about it, but they're up there at the uh, Commonwealth Games at the moment. Uh, oh, the Stolen Wealth Games. Stolen Wealth Games. There. Exactly. Yeah, and they were in the car, I believe. I think there was three of them, but you'll hear two of them speak. And then we had. John Safran. John Safran on. Uh, Jew Detective. Uh, he's uh, uh, playing in the Melbourne International Comedy Fest uh, and uh, he has been around uh, speaking to a lot of extremists across Australia um, and he's going to uh, find some of the funnier points for his Melbourne International Comedy Fest show. So we had a bit of a chat with him about that. And then we had Michael Donadu, Director of World Vegan Day and President of v- Vegetarian Victoria. Um, Mark's due to speak at a public forum on climate action group so we got him in to talk a little bit about where he comes from and how he does it a small section from the uh, website drug reporter it's also a youtube channel Um, drug reporter aimed to interview uh, mostly it's it's across europe but across the world um, people that are involved with drug issues and uh, for this interview it was an interview with uh, one of the uh, senators in the philippines who is uh, becoming a, a direct competitor or a direct challenger to President Rodrigo Duterte, whose uh, drug war uh, has um, has led to many deaths without um, judicial process. Uh, many, I mean, this is murder. This is state-sanctioned murder, um, and uh, yeah, very interesting to hear from that senator. Mm, was very interesting. So stay tuned for that. And then at the top of the show, which you'll lead into now, is an in-your-face rerun. Uh, in-your-face airs on. The 3CR grid uh, for 4 to 5 every Friday and we're jumping in a conversation um, taken by two co-hosts, James and Yvette, speaking with Morgan Carpenter. He's a founder of uh, Intersex Day and they sort of dissect a little bit about their QTI and the inclusion of the I and what's that about. So please enjoy. Good morning, good morning, and welcome good to good morning. 3CR. You're here with Patty and Nick. How you doing? Very well, thank you, Nick. Good, good. I'm not. <laughs> you I'm don't. Good. I can hear your nasals yeah. coming through. Incubators of diseases, children. Incubators of diseases. I thought it was going to be all right. I just had a little bit of a blocked nose, and then yesterday, just it's getting to, into my head, and I'm sneezing all day. But I had to get up this morning because uh, it's just you and you and me this morning, Patty. Judith is um, off again on. I can't remember where I she's going. I think she's off way. gallivanting around, um, doing Tai Chi classes. Tai Chi, yes, she does. She does do a lot of Tai Chi she's classes. She's a Tai Chi so master. She is a Tai Chi that master. That is a little known fact of Judith. There's here actually at 3CR. a lot of little known facts about Judith. She's uh, she's been up to a lot in her life. Maybe we'll try and you know pry some more little known facts when she's when she's back. I think we should. That's yeah. what this show is all about. This is 3CR Wednesday Breakfast. And up next we have an uh, interview from In Your Face uh, that aired last Friday. Presenters James and Yvette um, speak with Morgan Carpenter, founder of Intersex Day, co-executive and director of Oil Australia, the consultant to GAT.org, 
um, about his MNC submission into religious freedom. Unpublished, although, but the Ruddock Review, ending human rights violations against intersex persons. James and Yvette start the interview by asking Morgan to explain who intersex people are as discussed in his submission. Intersex people are uh, born with uh, sex characteristics that don't fit medical norms for for female or male bodies. Um, So we're a hugely diverse population with about 40 different intersex variations that are known to science. Um, And we can be diagnosed with having an intersex trait prenatally or at birth, at puberty, uh, when trying to conceive a child uh, and at various other times. And so, yes, yeah, so we're, we're a really diverse population. What, 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 what we share in common is that our bodies don't fit medical norms for what it means to have a female body or a male body. Morgan, the Ruddock Review is basically looking at religious freedoms in Australia from a legislative point of view. And some people, you know, predictably cynically are saying, well, look, this is all about the government's, you know, um, right-wing rump and its fears about the LGBTI community following the same-sex marriage win. Uh, what are some of your concerns about where this review might go in terms of law reform that uh, restricts uh, the freedom to live as they want for intersex people uh, and strengthens religious organisations' capacities to uh, discriminate against them? Well, that, that, that's a really big question, uh, and I guess it's the heart of the, the issue what, what, about why I'm, I'm here today uh, speaking with you. I think it's important to take a step back first before answering some of those questions, though, to say that intersex people do suffer um, significant violence and discrimination in society, um, and these forms of violence and discrimination... Are, are primarily because our bodies don't fit social and medical norms. So that means that we are vulnerable or at risk of medical interventions to make our bodies appear more typically female or more typically male. Um, and that can happen often in, in early childhood or in puberty or, or, or later in life. That's one of the big issues that we face. Um, now, um, are you concerned that the federal government will, I guess, exasperate that discrimination by allowing religious organisations more freedom to discriminate against intersex people? Well, this is very interesting because religious organisations have typically either not got a position on the forms of medical violence that I've talked about, or, or in some cases they have positions that... that, that, that um, that appear to oppose those medical interventions. But, but typically, um, religious institutions, both uh, you know here and overseas, have no clear understanding that those practices take place. Um, so many religious organizations, particularly in the very recent past, have um, looked at intersex issues through a, a lens that is predominantly focused on issues affecting lesbians and gay men and bisexual people, or looking at issues affecting transgender people. And, you know, intersex people may sometimes be queer uh, and may sometimes be trans. And and personally, I am queer. Um, But we are not all queer and we are not all trans because we are intersex. There, There are people with the same kinds of physical characteristics that I have that may be heterosexual and cisgender. Um, so it's important from from my point of view 
to um, disentangle some of these issues and make sure that intersex issues are addressed for what they are, how they are, rather than addressed as if we are a different population with different characteristics. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Sure. Morgan, um, oh, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Um, I, was, I was going to say, uh, ask you whether the conflating of intersex with LGBTQA can mean that people with intersex conditions are actually less visible. Like, does it make it harder for intersex people to find inter- intersex-specific resources? Um, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, I think, again, there, there are some big risks here um, that, that are hard to deal with. Um, uh, for example, um, I, I'm aware that there are situations where people get trained on LGBTI issues by a cisgender gay man or, or a cisgender uh, lesbian woman or a transgender person who has actually never had any direct contact with people who, who, who have an intersex variation or, or, or have disclosed that they have intersex variation. And often that training can, can then cause more problems from my perspective because it often misinterprets intersex as a non-binary gender identity or as issues that we don't share in common with each other as intersex people. Um, so this means even that things like the Rainbow Tick um, uh, and organizations that have training on LGBTI issues, um, often we hear from individuals that, that is, it has created misconceptions or misunderstandings about who intersex people are in reality that, that A, mean that we can't rely on this idea that, that organizations are LGBTI inclusive, uh, and B, create misunderstandings that, that, that actually affect people's comprehension of who we are and what our needs are. Mm. Morgan, do you think we need to reframe the LGBTI acronym then uh, mm. and come up with something else? Because it sounds like the, the community on various levels is kind of transcending it. I mean, it used to be called the Rainbow Coalition, but that was mm-hmm. in the 90s. Was it really called that in the 90s? Yeah. I don't, I don't remember that myself. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, over time, I mean, some people have this idea that, that the acronym has become bigger as different constituent populations within the acronym have expressed the need for inclusion, um, inclusion. But but really, I'm, I'm not sure that that's the whole story. Like like for example, mm. I mean, if if we remember when when it used to be the lesbian and gay movement, mm. um, and there was a discussion about whether uh, the T should be added, uh, and we we kind of recognise now that if we're talking about LGB populations. That doesn't include transgender people unless they're queer as well. It's um, interesting. I remember a big debate when I was working for the gay press in the 1990s, late 90s, about whether or not the T should be added to the publication's masthead. Yeah, um, and, it, and it was. Uh, and then people did, I think, understand that that did add a whole set of different people to a population that we're talking about and a whole set of different issues that we're talking about. Because because when the T was added, it added issues to do with gender recognition, to do with access to medical interventions so that people can transition. Now, the, the, the thing from the issue for me where I stand is that adding the I actually did should have done the same thing. Um, people should have realized that we're adding a whole set of issues around intersex status or sex characteristics. We're adding a whole set of issues around uh, people's right to bodily integrity that are still hardly talked about. So, why so is me, that? 
why is that? I think oh, there are lots of different reasons. I think there are lots of assumptions uh, and misconceptions about what intersex is. I, I, you know, and it may well be. I think it's likely that, that, that those you know different sets of uh, misconceptions have also plagued the trans community as well. So, I mean, I'm not sure this is maybe not a unique situation, but um, but then I'm also aware of uh, quite widespread misconceptions that intersex people are a third sex, that intersex people share a common gender identity, um, that trans people are all intersex because they have trans, they have um, brains that are different. Um, uh, and these concepts all kind of blur um, the boundaries about what, what it is that we're talking about. Uh, and those misconceptions also make it less likely that people born with intersex variations will disclose to anybody. Um, so it's been a bit of um, a vicious circle, in, in, in my experience, that it helps to perpetuate misconceptions and, and helps to prevent people from disclosing who they are publicly. Um, I hope things will change in future, uh, and there are some um, actions that we are doing as, a, as an intersex human rights movement to help do that. And one, one of the key steps in that process is, is to have agreed a common platform called the Darlington Statement last year. The what statement, sorry? The Darlington Statement. Okay. Um, there are more than 20 people from, from different organisations in Australia and New Zealand that came together to agree a common agenda. Uh, and, you know, OYI Australia, which is now called ERA, and we kind of uh, stick to that agenda. Morgan, you made two recommendations in your submission. Could you tell us a little bit a little bit about that, please? <laughs> oh, I have to look at the, the um, submission. Oh. <laughs> <Dear> <laughs> I mean, people here um, on the radio probably don't, probably unaware of this. I mean, it, it's not published either because... No, uh, and I'm aware of I, that. Yeah, but we yeah. can... I thought we could maybe just uh, cite it a little bit. Yeah. Um, the reason why it's not published is because aspects of the paper will be published in a book chapter and in a journal article in the very near future. So... Um, right. So I haven't um, been able to publish it at, at this point. But the recommendations, I mean... Morgan, just why if it's going going through the document, uh, Philip Rallick is obviously chairing this review into into religious freedom in Australia. You've made this, uh, you've made your submission to that review. If yeah. Philip Rallick was listening to this program, what is the key message you would give him about any law reform issues he might be considering in relation to intersex people? Well, I, I had the honour of meeting him and three other members of the uh, of the review um, last month, and. Um, it was an interesting discussion, uh, and I hope that he will take account of that discussion. Uh, what did you say to him? Well, I think the key message is that, you know, the LGBTI acronym brings together multiple different populations, and each of those populations has a different history, uh, and religious institutions have different attitudes towards different populations within that acronym. Um, and I think it's important for those populations to have their issues considered uh, distinctly uh, because of those different histories. Uh, so, for Does example, you get the what, sense what, that he struggles with the acronym? I think most people struggle with the acronym, don't they? I mean, most people assume mm -hmm. the acronym really is about lesbians and gay men, fundamentally. Mm -hmm. um, 
And, and, you know, I've read so many submissions to Religious Freedoms Inquiry that that essentially treat LGBTI as if it it is dealing with issues of sexual orientation. Which is why maybe the whole acronym needs to be reviewed. Well, I don't think the Religious Freedoms Review is a good place to do that. No. (laughs) Um, I mean, there's a few other kind of... um, I personally, on, on a, and this is on a, very much on a personal level, I haven't seen any any wonderful alternatives to LGBTI uh, or other acronyms. But the, there is um, internationally, there are other language that is used within uh, legal and human rights frameworks that can be helpful. So people can talk about sexual orientation, gender identity and expression, and sex characteristics. Uh, and those um, concepts help us to address some of the issues that our populations face in ways that are distinct to each other as well as ways that are common uh, to all of us. Uh, and maybe I'm under underselling what, what is common to all of us. I think, I think all LGBTI people face stigma and discrimination because we don't meet social norms about what it is to be a real man or a real woman. But th- these actually have a very different effect on us. Uh, and those differences are particularly significant when it comes to law, to medicine, uh, and to religious attitudes. Morgan, I have your first recommendation here. So all deferrable non-essential medical treatment to modify the sex characteristics of children, including for religious reasons, should be prohibited under law. That's right. Um, Now, that might be a surprise to people who think that maybe the key recommendation should be to do with... um, preventing uh, schools and churches from discriminating against intersex people. Um, But there is actually no evidence that religious institutions who understand what intersex is have a desire to discriminate against intersex people for being intersex. They may well have a desire to discriminate against us for being queer or being trans, if we are queer or trans. Um, So this recommendation is really addressing, I think, the core... um, the core and long-standing demand of the intersex human rights movement. It's a demand that has existed since the 1990s uh, and still has yet to be addressed in Australia. Um, so we're calling for um, uh, the prohibition of all deferrable non-essential medical interventions to modify the sex characteristics of intersex children and of intersex movement. Now, what I did in my recommendation was broaden that to include other forms of um, modifications that sets characteristics of children because we know that there are some religious reasons or rationales for some of those uh, interventions particularly when it comes to female genital mutilation but also ritual and routine male circumcision and it seems to me that there's no clear justification uh, about why particular forms of religiously motivated genital cutting should take place while others should not. When can we expect Philip Ruddock to release his report? I know it's uh, eagerly anticipated in the very near future. I think it was delayed. It was supposed to be out by now. I yeah. think it's going to be May sometime. Why is the delay occurring, do you think? <laughs> I think the sheer volume of submissions that's been made. Um, we've seen a number of those submitted already, or a number of those published already. Um, but I think there's, there's been a vast uh, number of submissions. Um, and I don't know how... Um, how positive that will be for the communities and populations that we care about most, you know, that we're talking about today. 
Yes, the political um, will of this whole inquiry seems to be about uh, strengthening conservative religious views, doesn't it? Uh, particularly in relation to some elements of the federal parliamentary Liberal Party. Well, I think that's clear in, in, in the manner in which the inquiry was rapidly, hastily set up during the marriage debate. Um, so yes, it, it, it certainly has um, the possibility for, for um, some risks or harm to, to LGBT populations, possibly LGBTI populations. And I wonder if the delay is because there's a potential change of Prime Minister in the wind as we come up to 30 news polls. Mm. That's another big issue, isn't it? I'm not sure if that's happening or not. Um, no, it's hard to tell, to isn't it? But there seems today. to be some change with this Monash forum that Peter Credlin's banging on about in relation to, to energy. So um, I think the next few weeks of Parliament sitting will be very interesting. Yes. I mean, perhaps the final point is that we're supposed to have a federal election sometime at the end of this year or beginning of next. So that's an opportunity to maybe address some of the issues that come up in the, in the inquiry in a more um, structured way. Um, and, I, you know, I, I'm not sure how people will feel about what I've said, but, but people, if you, if you want to get in touch, that's completely OK with me. Because I'm, I'm talking in a personal capacity today, really. So, yeah, I'm happy to talk about these issues and, and provide some justification for them as well. And I'm not trying to, you know, harm any population, but, but I think it is necessary to treat the different populations within LGBTI differently in many contexts because the issues we face are different because our characteristics as populations are different. So it's just that attention to, to our diversity that's important. That's what I'm stressing. You're listening to 3CR Wednesday Breakfast. We were just listening to a listening back to Friday, a program in your face where presenters James and Yvette spoke with Morgan Carpenter, um, founder of Intersex Day and co-executive director of Oil Australia Day and a consultant at gate.org. Um, we heard Morgan there talking a little bit about what LGBTI means and the intersex part of that acronym, the I at the end. And you can catch In Your Face every Friday afternoon at 4pm on 3CR. And if you want to hear a little bit more about Morgan, head to morgancarpenter.org forward slash policy. You are tuned in with Paddy and Nick here on 3CR Wednesday Breakfast. Um, on the line, joining us here this morning, this fine, balmy autumn morning, we have Mark Donoghue, Director of World Vegan Day and President of Vic- Vegetarian Victoria. Welcome, Mark. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks for coming down or being on the line. Uh, I'd like to, first of all, by start, uh, it seems like vegetarianism is the new black in food fashion. Um, have you had a part to play in it with uh, being the director of vegetarianism or the president of Vegetarian Victoria and the director of World Vegan Day? Well, we'd like to think that we've uh, played some small part. I mean, we've uh, produced uh, 180,000 booklets called Eating Up the World uh, which were the environmental consequences of human food choices back uh-huh. in 2009. And um, a lot of people have actually said that that was, you know, one of the catalysts for them, you know, switching to a to a vegan, uh, a plant-based diet. We've also been, you know, quite involved uh, with World Vegan Day since 2003, and we've seen that event just absolutely take off. It started off as 100 people 2003 as a picnic in the park, and we had 20,000 people last year. 
And, um, you know, part of it is reflecting the, the popularity of veganism. But, you know, a lot of people also said that they became vegan at our event too. So, you know, you know we, we, like a lot of people, played our, our small role uh, in that uh, process. Just going back to that, you said 120,000 pamphlets, was it? What, were, what was in 180, there? 180,000 uh, pamphlets since 2009. Wow. We, we, we produced this booklet called Eating Up the World, which um, basically talks about how... Uh, our diet, uh, our meat-based diet, is responsible for most of the environmental degradation that we have on the planet. You know, whether it's uh, greenhouse emissions, um, land degradation, uh, water usage, um, and uh, deforestation, and and even the, the grain that we feed cattle worldwide is enough to feed 8.7 billion people, mm. you know, more than the world's population. So, yeah, you know, we, we talk about all these sort of environmental facts that sort of help educate people. Uh, about you know the consequences of uh, of our standard Western diet and how it's damaging the environment. Mm. And how did you circulate these documents and around the place? And how did people pick them up and usually find them? Well, we um, have them uh, uh, circulated at a lot of events, like the Sustainable Living Festival, you know, at World Vision Day, all sorts of other events throughout the year. People um, hear about them through the different talks that we do. We've got a PDF version on our website, uh, vegvic.org.au. Uh, that people can download, and uh, once people see them, they um, uh, think, "Well, that'd be really great to, you know, distribute for their council or their school or or for their local community." And uh, a lot of people often email us, and we, we send a box to them, you know, Australia wide. Mm. Well, serious direct engagement there, Mark. Um, what do you say to the naysayers of vegetarianism, and more to the point of veganism? who say that it doesn't provide a balanced diet, and it's hard to get the right or the right balance of nutrients and vitamins and the rest of the goodness that the body needs to absorb. Yeah, well, uh, that's actually not based on, on fact. You know, there's a, a huge misconception that people have that uh, a plant-based diet is inadequate. But, you know, the American Dietetics Association says that not only is it nutritionally adequate uh, in every respect, but it's actually healthier than uh, most other diets. You know that um, our, our biggest uh, killer uh, in the West, in Australia as well, is heart disease. And it's been shown that... Uh, uh, animal-based diets are largely responsible for that, you know, about 80% of it at least. Uh, and then you, you have a look at other illnesses like uh, cancer. Uh, diabetes is an, is an interesting one because if you're on a high animal-based diet, you're 73 times more likely to contract type 2 diabetes. And if you're on a, a moderate animal-based uh, diet, 23 times more likely to contract diabetes than a vegan. Um, and it's the actual animal fat that actually stops you uh, the mitochondria in the cells from interacting with insulin, which allows glu- glucose to enter the cells, and that's more of a problem than sugar. You know, they put people on high sugar diets versus high fat diets, and the ones that are contracted type two diabetes were those on the high animal fat diet, not on the high sugar diet. Mm. And uh, you know, few people are aware of that. And and you know, when they compare nutrient levels, you know, from a vegan diet. Uh, to a standard Western diet, they find that people on standard Western diets are, are deficient in seven nutrients. You know things like vitamin C, vitamin A, vitamin E, um, you know, fibre in particular, which is an important uh, nutrient, really, not just a, something to, to clean your intestines with. And uh, whereas people on plant-based diets are only uh, deficient in three, by comparison, you know, so um, you, you can see that um, it's a much healthier diet mm. across the board. But, um, yeah, is there is there an educational program that needs to happen a little bit with veganism at all, do you feel, uh, in terms of just explaining what nutrients yeah. the body does need and, and things yeah. like that? And obviously, in a traditional Western diet, that education wouldn't go astray either. Oh, look, you're absolutely right. I mean, if there's one area that we're completely misinformed 
uh, in you know as far as a society is when it comes to health and nutrition. And um, we've actually done a a, a, a pamphlet uh, which is the uh, sequel to the Eating Up the World, the environmental uh, booklet. That's called the Human um, Health Consequences of uh, uh, Human Food Choices, and uh, and that's also been quite popular too, where we actually talk about. Things like, you know, where do you, you get your nutrients from, your protein, your calcium, your iron, all the things that people are concerned about, B12. And uh, we also talk about the, the very negative uh, uh, health consequences of uh, a meat-based diet and how things like uh, stroke and high blood pressure, Alzheimer's disease, arthritis, kidney disease, as well as heart disease, cancer and diabetes can be prevented and actually reversed on a, on a plant-based diet. So we know that, um, I mean, this is all very good information and this is the sort of information that will tra- uh, change many people uh, around especially when they uh, I mean people often reach a pivotal point where suddenly a health crisis uh, makes them have to move rather than um, unable to move but we also know at the same time we've been running for example anti-smoking campaigns for the best part of 30-40 years and there seems to be a resistant cohort about 10 to 15 percent of people uh, that even though they know how bad it is for them uh, they still continue to do it. And I suspect we're going to see the same thing with meat eating. So what about that? Can we just not change these people's minds and that's what we're going to have to accept? Or do you think that uh, more should be done to change their minds? Yeah, well, it's a good question. Look, you know, one of the reasons why a lot of people are resistant um, is that, uh, the, you know, eating meat like smoking is actually addictive. And, uh, and, and even with dairy, they've actually found casomorphins in dairy that have uh, go to the same receptors in the brain as uh, as do um, morphine and heroin, and so you can imagine, you know, so how addictive some of these foods are. And plus, when you've got a a, a, a society where everyone's used to eating meat, and, uh, and and people often ask, you know, well, what do I cook? You know, they've got no idea. Um, it, it makes it uh, very challenging for people. And so, education is so vitally important. One of the reasons I think we've seen veganism rise so rapidly is because of uh, an increase in awareness. You know, we've seen social media, people sharing information more rapidly than ever before, and uh, and, and people are, are now aware of the yes, the environmental uh, damage yeah, caused by uh, animal industries, the health uh, uh, consequences for their own uh, their bodies, and also the uh, um, the, the the mass uh, suffering of uh, you know, over a hundred billion animals, you know, on on the planet every year that we kill for for human consumption. And so, because people are aware of this more and more. It's becoming easier for people to make that sort of shift. And I think we need to just do more of that, of that information out there to make people aware so they can make better choices. Mm. Now, if you've just joined us, we're on 3CR Radio. We're speaking with Mark Donoghue, Director of World Vegan Day and President of Victor- um, Vegetarianism Victoria. Um, we've been speaking about his involvement in both of these organisations and the diet requirement that they carry both with the positive effects that it has um, health-wise and also on the environment. Um, Mark, you're also going to be speaking at a, an event coming up, aren't you? You're going to be speaking at the Bayside Climate Change Action Group. Uh, yes, that's correct. That's on uh, Wednesday the 25th of this month uh, of April and uh, it's at number two Livington, Livingston Street in Hyatt at the Hyatt Neighbourhood House at mm. 7.30 on, the, on that Wednesday the 25th. And uh, yes, I'll be uh, made there. I'll be mostly focusing on the environmental impacts of uh, a plant-based diet versus a, a standard Western diet or a meat-based diet. Mm. And uh, you know, I guess uh, focusing mostly there on climate change, but also you know, touching on some of the other environmental impacts, you know, like uh, soil degradation, soil, uh, amount of land usage, deforestation, um, water usage, and things like that. Mm. But mo- mostly focusing on greenhouse emissions. Uh, 
uh, in particular. Now, Mark, I have two hypotheticals before we let you go here. One is if Australia right now was to completely go vegan and that's just the um, eating of known meat produce, the industry wouldn't change all at once. Um, do you have a rough estimate on what the impact that would be on our methane emission or on our yeah, impact? Yeah, well, the, when you have a look at uh, the meat, the, it's estimated that the total methane production from animal industries is greater than that of all the world's transport, you know, which uh, I think they estimate that transport is about 26%. And uh, you're looking at animal industries, looking at a conservative number, it would be around about 27%. So it would be the sing single most important thing that a person can do to improve uh, uh, greenhouse emissions is to switch to a, a plant-based mm. diet. I've heard that. And now, lastly... From an outsider's perspective, is there been any is there any conflict between vegetarianism and veganism? Because there is a, a small change in diet there, but quite a large one and a significant one. Yeah, well, look, um, th there is. Uh, it is true that most of the damage is caused by uh, the consumption of meat. So just by switching vegetarian, you're making some gains. Uh, but uh, the the dairy industry and also the uh, the egg industry are also responsible for a lot of. Uh, environmental damage just there and also from a health point of view it's equally as, uh, as damaging uh you know the, the the amount of waste for example just produced by uh, a small amount of uh, dairy cattle by 2500 produces the same amount of volume of, of waste compared to a city of about 400,000 human beings like the city of miami for comparison so just by by stopping dairy you're, you're making that that huge difference just there well, that's some wild facts coming out there, Mark. Some big facts. I um, appreciate your time that you've spent um, distilling that. And if people want to head and learn a little bit more, um, you're all around the place. But a good place to start is at that Bayside Climate Change Action Group that's happening on the 25th. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. And I've also just uh, opened up the website vegvic.org.au where the uh, Eating Up the World booklet uh, is there so you can have a read through uh, and see some of the uh, some of the arguments uh, put forward there. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, up next, we've got some interesting things coming on from Indonesia. We've got a tune coming up and then we're going to be crossing live to the Stolen, Stolen Wealth Games protest that's happening up there. You're tuned in to 3CR Wednesday Breakfast. It is Nick and Paddy in your ears. You gotta remember Nanox is a special day for us fellas. That's a reminder who we are. Every year for NAIDOC Week, 3CR Community Radio gives voice to our Indigenous brothers and sisters through Beyond the Bars, Australia's only live prison broadcast. I am a black, black man. NAIDOC means a lot to me. It's about identity and also about past and present. NAIDOC means a lot to me, for my family and my people. You can access audio from current and past Beyond the Bars broadcasts via the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars and either listen to or download audio from Australia's only live prison broadcast. Happy NAIDOC! Sugar Tree with Fly Away on 3CR Breakfast. It's about 10 minutes away from 8am this morning with Nick and Paddy. 
It is, it is. It's a balmy evening out there, or morning. Oh, morning, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're enjoying. We were just speaking with Mark Donoghue, Director of World Vegan Day and President of the Vegetarian Victoria. We were just talking um, during that song of Sugar Tree how hard it is to develop habits. and oh, Any any kind of good habit, um, getting yourself out of bad habits and um, like diet, I, I find one of those ones in particular that it's not, it's not high on my... Uh, priorities because I feel like I'm snowed under by so many other things and I can't even can't even get a normal yeah. diet working in a kind of way. I do try and integrate it in uh, vegetarian meals in a couple of times a week um, just because I think that's important. That's that's the, the little steps um, yeah. that you can take just to make it a bit easier. But um, yeah, it's, it's, hard, it's hard work. Hard work. <laughs> it is hard. And it's confronting work. It is confronting work. Um, but, uh, well, it was good to hear a little bit about it. I'm also a meat eater, but try and restrict it a little bit. But it's funny when it plays on your guilt complex, but it's interesting to hear um, those figures around the impact around it. And also you were saying you grew up with chickens in your in your well, childhood. Yeah. I mean, that's that's something I've never quite understood. With I've got a few vegan friends who I've, I've never quite understood um, the, the chicken one. I understand the one about factory farming, and I think that's awful because I grew up uh, around chickens we had a one acre property out belgrave way um so yeah chickens are great chickens <laughs> chickens are really fun creatures and they're really smart and just they're they're odd creatures because well, you forget the chickens are <laughs> chickens are omnivores too they will hunt chickens yeah. hunt things yeah, and they it's eat um, the worms they eat the grubs they'll eat I was mice actually, I they'll was eat mice if they can <laughs> they're nuts I was, I was watching a ridiculous clip last night um on chickens chasing humans it was very entertaining <laughs> Just to put yourself to sleep. <laughs> don't don't count, count cows. <laughs> Watch chickens chasing people. <laughs> and small little people. All right. Um, well, up next, we've got a little bit more. We're going to take a serious note here. Yes. Ed. Well, Peter Sorossi is a reporter from Drug Reporter, which you can find on YouTube and also on Facebook. And Peter recently spoke with uh, Philippine Senator Antonio Trelanes about the ongoing drug war in the Philippines under the authoritarian rule of President Rodrigo Duterte. Uh, Senator Trelanes has emerged as a direct political opponent to Duterte in a time when political opposition in the Philippines is increasingly dangerous. We know from the news that uh, in the Philippines the, the government launched a war on drugs. Actually, that's a war on drug users and the Philippines government is now accused by many other governments and international bodies such as the UNODC as supporting uh, extrajudicial killing of people. Uh, can you explain us like, where this whole uh, idea of the war on drugs is coming from? How this whole war on drugs evolved or developed in, in, in the Philippines? Okay. When... Uh Mr. Duterte got elected in 2016. He unleashed upon the Filipino nation this war on drugs, as uh, he called it. And uh, based on the last report of uh, the government, they have now killed more than 20,000 Filipinos. And they categorized it into two. One is those deaths resulting from police operations. Then another 16,000 died or killed by unknown assailants. But the problem is uh, the Duterte administration reported it as an accomplishment of their administration officially. So they are crediting themselves with 20,000 deaths. And uh, these uh, people who were killed didn't go any uh, due process or they didn't have their day in court. They were just arbitrarily listed in some 
sheet of paper by uh, the community officials and this list is the one being used by the policemen to hunt down these people. And uh, in so many cases, these people are not even the ones listed because there are also reports that uh, there is a bounty uh, for every person killed. There is around uh, $200 worth of bounty that goes to the policeman who gets to kill a Filipino. So this is a, uh, a messed up system of uh, addressing the problem of uh, illegal drugs. Now, here's the, the thing. The son of uh, Mr. Duterte is himself implicated in uh, a large shipment of, uh, of meth that uh, went unpunished by uh, Mr. Duterte. In fact, he exonerated the different officials uh, linked with his son. And uh, that's why all of these tons of uh, illegal drugs are coming in and uh, without being uh, made to account uh, for their actions. And just a few days ago, the known drug lords of uh, the Philippines who are close friends with Mr. Duterte have been exonerated by the Department of Justice. So I label this uh, war on drugs uh, uh, by Duterte as fake. This is just a means for him, for him to, con co to control uh, the different segments of society and that's really to address uh, illegal drugs. And even so, this approach has been proven to have failed in uh, other countries who have tried to employ it. Do you think that uh, uh, the Filipino people or the majority of the Filipino people support this war on drugs or is it just uh, fear uh, which is behind? Okay, the, the war on illegal drugs per se is perceived as uh, a collective effort by the Filipino people to treat the illegal drug problem as a serious problem. So everybody's on board uh, that uh, policy. But what they disagree with is the method of uh, Mr. Duterte of killing suspected drug users and drug pushers. Because uh, uh, all of us believe that uh, it's not the, the right approach, it's very inhumane, and uh, it has proven to be uh, uh, not effective at all, as experienced by other countries. And uh, we also believe that uh, these drug users should be able to be rehabilitated and uh, given a chance to be reintegrated in the mainstream of society. You know that the uh, Philippines is a Catholic country, so yes. what, what, what role the church plays in this? The uh, Catholic Church in the Philippines has been very active in, uh, in promoting human rights and denouncing the extrajudicial killings. They have also been um, a sanctuary of uh, the victims, uh, families, and uh, some of the witnesses and even those who are uh, part of the death squads of uh, Mr. Duterte. So I believe uh, they are doing their part. It may be muted um, comparatively, but uh, everybody's doing their part. Is it dangerous to be an opposition politician now in the Philippines? So uh, is, is your own personal safety in danger? 
It's very dangerous right now to be part of the political opposition. One colleague of mine, uh, Senator Dilima, has been uh, imprisoned arbitrarily because of trumped-up charges, uh, totally fabricated. But with her detention, it sent a chilling message to all the other politicians not to cross with Mr. Duterte. As for myself, um, uh, we have a witness who, who told us that uh, they were actually ordered by Mr. Duterte to have me killed. And uh, I am also facing uh, several cases that they trumped up uh, just to put me away. But uh, for as long as I'm standing and I'm uh, I'd be able to speak out, I would speak out and uh, tell the whole world about uh, the plight of the Filipino people. What can the world do? What can the international community do to help the Filipino people? The international community has been uh, a very big help in uh, putting um, pressure on the Duterte administration to respect uh, human rights and uh, due process and the rule of law. And uh, that somehow uh, slowed down the uh, killing machine of uh, Duterte. So we are appealing still to the international community to continue to, to help us with our situation in the Philippines and uh, just keep on putting the pressure on Mr. Duterte. How do you see the future? Like where do you see the, 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 the light in the end of the tunnel? Definitely. Um, we have seen it before. Uh, tyrants like Duterte have fallen, um, much stronger tyrants like him. But uh, they suffered ignomin ignominious ends, and uh, we feel Duterte would suffer the same fate. And uh, besides, uh, he's not necessarily a young man, so there is uh, a finite uh, uh, length of time that he would be in power. How would the ideal drug policy look like, which you would prefer that, that would be optimal for the Philippines? Uh, we would have uh, preferred the uh, more holistic approach in uh, addressing the illegal drug problem, uh, addressing the demand side, for example, uh, through harm reduction and rehabilitation and uh, a massive indoctrination uh, for the, the youth, those particularly who have yet to touch uh, illegal drugs, they should be informed about uh, the negative effects uh, on their bodies and uh, on their uh, futures. But uh, for the supply side, we need uh, stronger information exchange with other nations, uh, tighter border controls, and uh, so that we can stop the, uh, the proliferation of uh, the drugs in, uh, in our country. So uh, these are some of the ideas uh, that we have in mind. Thank you very much, Senator, for talking to us, and I wish you luck for your work. Thank you very much, Peter. Okay. Thanks. Thank you, sir. And that was reporter Peter Sarossi uh, from the organization Drug Reporter, which you can find on YouTube uh, and on Facebook, and he was speaking there with Philippine Senator Antonio Chilanes about the ongoing drug war in the Philippines. Yeah! 
just on 8am 3CR Wednesday breakfast with Nick and Paddy and uh, heading for another balmy autumn top 26 degrees with a sunny afternoon today uh, and on the line now we have uh, John Safran uh, Jew detective uh, <laughs> as part of the Melbourne International Comedy Fest uh, he is uh, doing a show snooping on extremists and it's uh, sort of a follow up from his book which was released last year depends what you mean by extremists uh, John welcome to 3CR G'day, thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. Now, um, you have been spending uh, the past the past few years, as we've seen, the rise of Trump, the rise of Pauline Hanson, the rise of Australian conservatives and all, all these um, sort of more more uh, brazen right-wing groups. You've been uh, mingling with the, uh, with the, the undercurrent, with the people that are, are sort of pushing to, to put these things into the mainstream, the likes of uh, United Patriots and, and, and various other um, uh, either religious fundamentalist groups don't, or don't, fascist don't, stuff don't, groups. Don't, don't they drop into 3CR every so often? Uh, yeah, actually, yeah, they, they came and uh, dropped by and said hello to <laughs> Ralph, one of our more elderly presenters here, uh, who was uh, uh, quite confused uh, just before they went over to, uh, to, the, to the anarchists to say hello as well. So, so what's, what's the intrigue? John, what 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 have you what have you wanted to find out, and did you find it out? Well, the, one of the intriguing things was how much these people that were on the fringes for so much of my life, and when I started, uh, you know, going down to the rallies and talking to them, I was happy to just, you know, talk to them as total fringe players, and then almost bafflingly. <laughs> Suddenly, they're like easing into the mainstream, and suddenly these like political philosophies—you know, not not conservatives, and not even not even you know a bit right wing, or not even very right wing—but sort of people that had neo-Nazi pasts and had been in neo-Nazi groups are suddenly manage, uh, managing to get themselves, you know, on the news, and and almost in some ways like trick a lot of people, like trick. Just regular, you know, conservative people <laughs> like oh, yeah, you, you know, this is just all normal, and you know, we just care about Australia. They're trying, trying to pitch themselves as if like the Dick Smith fans, as, as like oh, you know, if you like Dick Smith, if you would prefer Vegemite to remain Aussie, why not join the <coughs> neo Nazis? And then sort of like, <laughs> and it's just it's utterly baffling. And then even in a in a in America. Their versions, the way that someone like Richard Spencer from the alt right is somehow a semi well known name. When, like, 2013, I remember interviewing him on Triple J, and he, and he was just some, you know, loony. <laughs> you know, he was, as, he was as out there and as odd and as not part of the mainstream as if there was someone who believed aliens had built the pyramids. And then, you know, he's, uh, he's all in the news. And, and I, I did. I, I was interested in how everyone feeds off everyone else's energy. So um, the more conservative people, you know, you know, some conservative politicians like, you know, in Corey Bernardi's crowd, and maybe not him personally, but sort of like in that circle, and even people like Pauline Hanson, they get to use these people as with flags off the flagpole to see, uh, you know, and just say things that they're not allowed to say because they're, you know, they'd be. Uh, or, or they're too scared to say maybe because it's just so racist, and they just they, they, they just sort of like soften up the ground and just say things enough times, like say things about Muslims enough times that it starts sounding normal or something, and then mm. sounds starts sounding acceptable. And 
Yeah, so, so that's how the more mainstream politicians, by more mainstream, I, I mean people like Paul Hanson and Corey Bernardi, that's how they use these fringe players. But then these fringe players, like, feed off the people's success and just use it to, like, validate themselves. It is, yeah, it is a sort of strange back and forth. And I think for many of us, it, uh, it feels like it, it caught us by surprise that this all seemed to come out of nowhere. But of, of course, it didn't come out of nowhere. It, it's something that's been bubbling along in the, uh, in the background for quite some time. Um, and, uh, and, and, it, and it's, yeah, bubbling like a, like a cauldron. And it also, I also found it sort of hilarious when I started realising that all these things were happening in Melbourne, like not far north of Queensland, you know, yeah. like, what? Yeah, because when I, when I started writing it, I was thinking, oh, I'm going to go all over Australia and probably end up in a, a pub or a bunker <laughs> somewhere in um, the Northern Territory or something. It's like, oh, no, I just, I can, you know, all this stuff, I just have to get on the train, get on the tram, <laughs> and suddenly I'm hanging out with all these real fringe players, including, like, when hanging out with, like, Aussie jihadis, like you don't have to, you know, again, just uh, drive over the bridge to Footscray and there you are. It's, it's very local. And across all your work, John, you're very empathetic or not. You just meet people on a certain level when you're working or interviewing people on the fringes. Um, what have you found when you are meeting people on that level? What is really driving them? Have you found something behind it or it is just malicious belief? <laughs> Oh, there's definitely wanting a sense of identity for some of them. So I, I can bring my upbringing into that where, uh, you know, Jews, I'm Jewish or whatever, and Jewish people just very interested in their, you know, their ancestry and, you know, telling stories and all that. And, you know, Aboriginal Australians would be the same or whatever. And, uh, you know, lots of agreements like that. So, yeah, when, when some white person talking about their ancestry, I guess that's where it gets like messy and sort of maybe even gets a bit uncomfortable or whatever. But, you know, like, like I'm more likely to sort of be able to sort of go, oh, you know, like, like, you know, suspend disbelief and just uh, listen to people. And um, yeah, so, so I mean, I'm not saying that's the only thing that kind of drives them, but you know, that, that is, that is one thing. And then there's also just a sense of ideologues in general, just want to keep things simple and just blame you know, you know, because life's messy and confusing and awful, and, and then if you just get to blame someone, whether it's the Jews or whatever, or uh, uh, black people or Muslims or whatever, it, it just kind of like simplifies your life. You know, you, you've just, you, you know, you've got an explanation for everything. It's good to have, good to have a scapegoat uh, to yeah. tip in the blame to. Um, who, who's been your favourite extremist that you've met in all in all your uh, in all your time? <laughs> By favourite, it can be worst. Like I, that term yeah, is valuable. Probably, I mean, I don't want to call him extremist because he's facing court or whatever. So I just say uh, eccentric fellow. But <laughs> but uh, like because because probably the person I've returned to a lot and you know just had lots of really good conversations with was Musa Ser Antonio, who's currently. In court or facing, uh, yeah, uh, facing court, or he's going to be facing court. The federal police say he was trying to uh, nick off out of Australia to uh, fight for an ISIS-related, or fight, at least join in some ways an ISIS-related group. And yeah, he'd, he'd grown up and he'd become a convert um, when, when he's, I think, he's very late teens and. We, we kind of had the same upbringing in some ways. Like he was into Mad Magazine when he grew up, 
and Monty Python, <laughs> and, and, and it was very strange that uh, you know he'd ended up where he where he'd ended up, and yeah, and and you, you just you just meet people that have so much to them that's just uh, regular, and that, that and obviously all that regular stuff becomes super fascinating when mm. it's balanced with their extreme side. Do you think maybe that's what we've forgotten in all of this? Because it feels like um, the world has become more uh, sparsely divided, that the ideologues on both sides have become more ideological, more separated, that we've, we've lost that, uh, that central ground where we used to try and find common ground with each other instead of what we, what we loathe about each other. I mean, I, you could sit there with any, any friend and find something you hate about that friend if you really, really, really wanted to, but why? Why would you do that? Have we lost the common ground? I think um, definitely with, like, social media, it's almost like someone like me, I can only exist because I grew up before social media and people kind of understand, you know, Australians understand what I'm about and everything. But And so I, 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 I've almost got the privilege that I'm, I'm allowed to go out there and, like, talk to people who are, you know, beyond comprehension or, or beyond social acceptance or whatever. But now there's, there's so much pressure to just... Uh, you know, like 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 I, like I saw last week, for instance, that you know, with the release of that Roseanne series um, in America, and because she voted for Trump, and said, said stuff on Twitter, and it became it became like normal that well, you, you, she, she's beyond she's she's beyond she's beyond the fringe on social media. Like like if you're a, if you want to be accepted in polite society, you can't say. You watched Roseanne, or you know, like, like, but like that's too far, <laughs> and it's like it's, it's so weird. It's like, well, and, and so there's there's a lot of pressure with social media to just uh, not go out of your lane and to just mm. you know just be very careful, and, and you you want to protect yourself, and you don't want to open yourself up to criticism, and so yeah, yeah, if somehow. Roseanne and watching Roseanne, or, or, or write, if, if writing the sentence, oh, I watched Roseanne and it was pretty funny. If that's somehow beyond the realms of acceptable behaviour in 2018, <laughs> I think that's really reflective of just how, uh, yeah, just how the- everyone wants to say the right thing and, and everyone's very scared of sort of dabbling around and like talking to people who aren't them. Uh, we're just about out of time, John, but um, we've seen a lot of uh, interesting developments with the, the rise of some, some new technological powers, arguably the, the rise of a new uh, industrial paradigm ent- entirely with the way that we can create things with 3D printers now, send information across the world in an instant, and and ge- uh, general artificial intelligence, it's coming, um, and, and it's something that's going to be an absolute game changer for everything from uh, manufacturing lines to the way that we do policy. Politics, and we're starting to see some of that uh, with, uh, you know, the, the knowledge now that there was an organisation called Cambridge Analytica uh, who were able to create these profiles. Well, uh, they say they were able to create these profiles on people, highly target people, and then a series of companies that created uh, various ads for targeting uh, these people that, that would uh, that would help them. Do you, do you think it's it's getting more separated, or what? What do you see for the the future of this um this sort of uh, sci-fi dystopia? This Black Mirror episode, what's going on? Well, definitely all these fringe players have really leveraged um, the internet and social media. So I imagine when there's new things coming out there, they're just going to be at the forefront of 
trying things out and trying to leverage them to their to their advantage. But that, I mean, that's what's exciting about all of this is that what, uh, there's just so many plot twists. It, 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 it's impossible to know what what would happen next. Like everyone just forgets that one hour before the U.S. election, everyone was like on both sides was like, "Oh, Hillary's getting in," and you know, ninety-seven point two percent chance. Like no one had any doubt, and then. The whole world changed, and, and and I think things like that, just these great plot twists in different directions, are just going to keep on rolling out. It's it's um funny to see. Sorry, I've just seen on my Twitter feed for for no good reason other than um I hate my eyes. Apparently, I follow Blair Blair Cottrell uh, from formerly the UPF. I don't know what he's part of anymore because none of these groups seem to stay together. Uh, but he's uh, commented this morning. Mark Zuckerberg was before a uh, uh, a, uh, a US um, inquiry Hearing, into yeah. into uh, Facebook and, and some of the things that have been going on. And, and this is the sort of thing we see. So Blair says, after letting private advertisers harvest and sell users' private info, Zuckerberg uses this opportunity to vow to further crack down on, and quotation marks, hate speech and news he deems as fake. This The guy is just using the fiasco to expand control of information. And this is the sort of narrative we see over and over again that, that uh, the that the real fake news is real news and the fake that news just is actually like what, that's, real. that's that leverage point, isn't it? Just finding that and just using that to just push over an opinion. Over and over and yeah. over, yeah. Oh, well, John, what, just quickly, what, do you, what can people expect of your show at the International Comedy Festival? Oh, well, I tried to make it funny because I just thought... <laughs> like, last time I did a show, I, I started off at Festival of Dangerous Ideas, so I just thought I can be storytelling, but now, because it's debuting at Comedy Festival, like, people are going to expect... Jokes in it. I, I do a lot. Of, I do a lot of like telling the story of of you know hanging with extremists, but also about like the tensions you have when you're uh, someone like me. You know, someone who's like, oh, I'm going to you know write stuff that's like smart arsy and funny and stuff like that. And then you know, ideologues getting agitated with me, like you know, why don't you just join the protest and stop being a smart ass? And you know, so there's, yeah, a, a lot about the little wars within wars that go on when you're. Uh, uh, you know, a sarcastic reporter on the front line, as, as opposed to being a, like a John Pilger reporter or something. Mm, and this is the start of your show, so this is the first time it's running out in the public. Yeah, yeah, so I think I, 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 I've got it written down all on sheets of paper, and I'm going to be behind a podium, so I guess if it just really, like I had some meltdown where I forgot everything, I could just read the pages or whatever. Yeah, it is quite scary. I haven't really done anything like this before. John, thank you very much for uh, joining us on 3CR this morning and give us a uh, little bit of insight into your um, forays into the uh, into the far extremes of both sides. I don't think we talked much about the left side, but thanks for <laughs> talking to us this morning, John. Okay, thanks a lot. Bye. John Safran uh, with his show, Jew Detective, snooping on extremists, uh, playing at the Melbourne International Comedy Fest. If you want to find out more about it, uh, John's website is johnsafran.squarespace.com uh, or you can check out any of the Melbourne International Comedy Fest guides uh, and go along and see that. And also his book, Depends What You Mean by Extremists, uh, sort of follows the, uh, the same line. This is 3CR Wednesday Breakfast. we got to remember Nanoc's a special day for us, fellas. That's a reminder who we are. Every year for NAIDOC Week, 3CR Community Radio gives voice to our Indigenous brothers and sisters through Beyond the Bars, Australia's only live prison broadcast. I am a black, black man. 
NAIDOC means a lot to me, it's about identity and also about past and present. NAIDOC means a lot to me for my family and my people. You can access audio from current and past Beyond the Bars broadcasts via the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars and either listen to or download audio from Australia's only live prison broadcast. Happy NAIDOC! Here we are on Wednesday breakfast, the 11th of April. It is a lovely autumn day and right now joining us on the line, live from Camp Freedom on the Gold Coast, is Michelle from Grandmothers Against Removal. Welcome, Michelle. Welcome to the program. Are yes, you there? thank you. Uh-huh. Um, before we start, can I just, um, can, before we start, can I just do an acknowledgement to country? Yeah, please. Um, I'd just like to acknowledge the, um, the, the, the land that we are... Uh, talking on today. Uh, I'd like to acknowledge our elders past, future and present and um, and, and the TOs of this area. Okay, we're right now. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle. Hello. Hello. Yeah. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the group that you're part of, Grandmothers Against the Removal? Well, Part of it, as in um, understanding what the other ladies have been doing, because we live in a, uh, a community and it's in country, so it's sort of pretty hard to travel. But we come from an Aboriginal community called Warabinda, mm. okay? And but we um, we 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 are in tune with our grandmothers. I'm a grandmother, so the story line is always there, and the sorrow that we go through about our grandchildren getting taken, our babies getting taken um, by, by, by white policy, you know. So mm. people don't understand the effects that it has on us as grandparents because we, we're getting old, so we need to pass on our knowledge mm. and we need to pass it on to our children. And, and that's, that's really important to us because our storyline got to keep on going mm. as, it, as it's done for over, over 200 years. Uh, um, way back in a, my apical ancestors' day, you know, to take a Aboriginal child, Gundanu, from that that mother was law, you know, and it's still law. But the law that we are sitting on now is not law or common law; it's corporate law. So it's a bit more vicious. Back then it was vicious, but this is more vicious because they got the court systems and they got um, corpora- corporations and orgs and all that are set up under this government that mm. control us. Mm. So we're fighting, you know, we're fighting battles all the time. So yeah, you're our, our grandparents. Sorry. No, you're right. So you're seeing within your community lots of children being removed and seeing it. Uh, and understanding it is a lot more vicious than what a lot of people consider to be the stolen generation and think that it has stopped. Yes. Mm. yes and, and have you felt the impacts and, and of... Like, you know, oh, yes, yes, yes. I was, um, I, was, um, I was pretty lucky because my parents, they were very strong in their culture and um, they kept us together as a family because I come from a family of 11. So we, 
my parents always was there with us and looked after us and cared for us. Um, and then when I had my children, I did the same thing. So that knowledge was passed down for me to be a mother and a grandmother to my children. And now my grandchildren, but when you try to teach your younger ones about how the system works, sometimes they got to learn the hard way and it hurts. So, because I've got, you know, I've got grannies that was nearly in child safety, but I stepped in and did the kingship, um, kingship law, you know. Mm-hmm. It's been, been put in place now. It's there, but it's, it's not, it's not honoured. It's not carried through like it should be. Um, and, and, you know, they take, and they, when they take that child away, they segregate that child away from the whole family unit. Mm. And that child then has trouble. That child has problems then growing up, and understanding why what happened. What happened to me? Why was I taken? Was I naughty? And things like that in their mind. So they they go through their trauma, or trying to deal with why they were taken. Mm. Because no one helps them. No one helps them. The the place where they are put in, they don't help them because they just look at them as money, dollar signs. And when they come back to us, we as grandparents, we've got to help them go through that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've seen the movie, um, uh, what's that movie? Um, Rabbit Proof Band. Mm-hmm. And that young girl was taken away from her mum. Mm-hmm. she came come back to her country. And grandmother was there. And grandmother did the ceremony for her. That, that's things that we've got to do. In that storyline, that's what we've got to do. We've got to bring our children back and help them and talk to them and, you know, saying that you're being here, you're being, you're, you're being on, this, on this earth is for a reason, you know. So, yeah, that's, and that's how the, I hope I got it right with how the, you know, the grandmothers are because I think we've all got that same feeling and, and our, NAIDOC, uh, our NAIDOC thing this year is because of her we can. And that's very, very strong. Very, very, very spiritual. It seems like it's hard to communicate this uh, across to the people who are in the position that they can make a difference. How do we, how do we get this message across to politicians and the departments that are making these decisions uh, to remove kids? How do we, how do we change their mind? Come and come and talk to us. Come and talk to us. Come and sit, come to our community, you know? Come and sit and talk to us. Mm. It says, Treat us as equals. Mm. You know, that's what they've got to do. They've got to come and talk. It's terrible. The yarning circle with us. Mm. It's terrible okay. to see the, the, the re-emergence of such conversations that are completely in the opposite direction with Sunrise's Sam Armitage commentary that, that had on reaffirming and bringing up memories and trauma and also a current issue that you're feeling within your community. So that yarn sounds like it's desperately needed. Yeah. And, you know, and Samantha Armitage needs to come and apologise to us women, to the women folk for saying such... for saying such a bad thing, you you know? For saying... She needs to look in her own backyard... She needs to go back and look at her history 
before she can get up there and say them things. Mm. Huh? That woman life's not going to be the same anymore. We um, just earlier had uh, John Safran on the show who was following around uh, extremists uh, of, of all sorts um, across uh, across the country and, and just sort of um, uh, commenting on the, on the point that there has been a rise, not just in Australia, but across the world of, of people who don't want to speak to other people. They want to judge from afar. They want to, they want to just sling things and they want to fight with people. What do you think is, is going on with these, with these people? I mean, they're disconnected and they're not speaking with people. Mm. What, is there something else that's going Power on? Mm. Power. Yeah. Power. Power. You know, that's, that's what it is. It's power. You know, dictatorship. That's what it is. Mm. You know? They got their agenda. You know? They go sleep thinking that what they're doing is good. You know? But it'll catch up to them. It will catch up to them. Something will happen. Always. Always something will happen. Mm. But they won't think it'll anything domestic, they'll think that's just the way of life. But no, it isn't. Our ancestors on this, on this country, they move spiritually, very spiritually, very strong. Mm. So good to hear um, a little bit from your neck of the woods. Um, how, can, how can we help? Um, can we, I just put you on to my sister here too? Yeah. Hello? Yeah. Hello. Hello. Welcome to 3CR. Thank you. How are we going? How's you're up at the up at the gate at the Camp Freedom on the Gold Coast, aren't you? And your sisters of Michelle. Yeah, we just arrived last night. Um, so this is the first time I've actually been to a um, rally of some kind, so I'm pretty excited about it. Um, I'm actually a foster carer, so and I've also been um, through the system myself. I was a stolen child um, with foster carers from the um, age of about 11 months to 4 years old, so I understand both sides of the coin in regards to fostering and, you know, trying to come home. I was glad my um, grandmother actually approached the minister and said, I've got a granddaughter down there, um, down south somewhere, and I'm never going to see her again. So um, he started the process for me to come back home. But I see a lot of people struggle. Um, you know, they're not sure where they fit in when they do come home. So what Michelle was talking about, you know, those ceremonies and keeping connection and stuff, they're really, really important for people. Mm. It sounds like it's a great perspective that you would have on that coming from both sides there and experiencing a, a wide plethora of the impacts that this has. Um, we'd really like to hear a little bit more and be able to air this conversation a bit louder and a bit longer because we're running up to the end of our, our time slot here at 3CR. Um, is there any way if you hold on the end of the line, um, Gab will speak to you uh, our producer and be able to organise that. We're running out of time, sadly. 
that's okay. All right, beautiful. So if you just hold there, we'll be able to catch up later and organize something. Thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. That was uh, Michelle and her sister uh, live from Camp Freedom on the Gold Coast uh, while the Commonwealth Games going on, or Stolen Wealth. Uh, and if you want to find out more, facebook.com forward slash grandmothers against removals. Uh, SA is the place to go. And that's just about the end of the show for us. It is, it is. It has been a packed show here on Wednesday Breakfast. Thanks for joining us and lending us your ears this morning. We've had a, a number of guests. And up next, we've got Stick Together. Stay with it. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Wobbly. <laughs> Wobbly old. Hey, hey, maybe that's a good just moment to just say 3cr.org.au. If you want to donate to 3CR and help our Wobbly studio, get onto it. <laughs> <laughs>